0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. And this week, we are going to um, speak about what I've entitled the Invisible War. The Invisible War. And what I mean by that, uh, last week, we we started to dive into a little bit of spiritual warfare. And in some respects, we're talking about that today. But more specifically, what I want to speak on is the battle of the mind and the thought life. And if you have been walking with Jesus for a few minutes, you understand that there is a real, a real battle that goes on for the truth of God and the lies of the enemy. And my heart today is that you would be greatly encouraged as we read through a story of a king by the name of Hezekiah and an enemy that came against him by the name of Sennacherib. Now, we could have spoken on this topic in any one of these, but here I feel like it's, it's most clear where you see the voice of the enemy that begins to speak over us and into our situations to cause fear and discouragement and worry and doubt. And as we've shared before, he wants to paralyze us from ever moving out for the calling and destiny that God has in our life. So this may seem a little different. We're going to use this story of Hezekiah as a platform, and then we're going to really jump into the, some things about Thought life and battling thoughts and, and, and how we can have victory in that. I, I know each and every one of us go through this. This is the battle that's been waging since the beginning in the garden. God laid out a truth claim and the enemy countered it with a lie. And the question is, which one do we live by? Will we allow the lies of the enemy to be exalted? Will we allow ourselves to entertain the thoughts of who he says that we are, who he says that God is not, or will we, be, will we fight the truth of God And stand firm on his word. I believe wholeheartedly that what the enemy wants to do in our lives is what I would call have us become Christian atheists. So we are children of God, we truly are born again, but we operate as if there is no God. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly walked through seasons like that where I can, can confess it with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, but in the, in the midst of a trial where I don't know where provision will come from, I begin to operate like any other person would that doesn't know God. I begin to worry and, and, and doubt, and, and it looks no different. And God wants us to have a firm faith in his nature, in his goodness, that we could, we could trust in him. And if you're here for the first time, if Jesus is new to you, let me, let me start right here before we jump into text. The battle of the mind, sure, I think it almost picks up once you become a believer, but understand this. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 says the God of this age, meaning the enemy himself, seeks to blind the mind of unbelievers so that they would not be able to see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So understand there are some that have walked into this room right now that you have an adversary that's main objective is he does not want you to see the beauty of the gospel that displays the glory of God. He wants you to be blinded by the fact that there's a God who saw you in your worst state and said, I'd rather die than live without you. And he laid down his life for you because he wants you and he wants to give you new life. He does not want you to understand that there is redemption in the gospel of grace because he wants you to continue to live by the law so that he can continue to accuse you and condemn you. His name is the accuser. His name is an adversary. His name is deceiver. He's the father of lies. When he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. None of us are exempt from this, and we walk through seasons of life where we can have a bombardment of these things, and I want to just hopefully just bring some clarity to this and and get you to Hopefully be able to discern the voice of God and and what is an attack and how we can resist this. I believe in my heart, when it comes to God blinding the minds of unbelievers, he's not really concerned with you acquiring facts or even proofs of God. He does not want you to see the preciousness of Jesus. Because once you get a glimpse of the goodness and the beauty of Jesus Christ and how much he loves you and what he's done for you, your life will never be the same. And I pray today that not only would we go deeper for those that have been connected to the body, but those are here for the first time, that you would have the scales removed and you would see the beauty of Jesus. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 36. Isaiah chapter 36. And again, we're just going to use this as a platform to really, talk about thought life for a little bit here. How many of you have ever read this story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib? Okay, not too many. That's good. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> this is in Isaiah, this is in Second Kings, and this is also has a small excerpt in Chronicles. I've, I've chosen to go through Isaiah, which is almost word for word with 2 Kings. Let me give you a quick background because I believe it's just fascinating and it adds to what's taking place here. Okay, so most of you probably know that when the Israelites came into the promised land, and they went through the period of Judges. They then were established as united nation, starting with Saul. Then they went to David. Then they went to Solomon. After Solomon, they split into a northern and southern kingdom. That's why when you read in Kings, you'll be like, what's going on? There's a king of Judah, and, and it talks about a, a, you know, a, a northern kingdom. I don't understand what's happening. There's a split kingdom. Both are eventually going to fall into the hands of enemies by God's divine judgment, but the northern kingdom will fall first. And the northern kingdom falls to these guys that we're going to talk about, the Assyrians. And so... There's a man by the name of Sargon, the king of Assyria, who comes in and wipes out the northern kingdom. King Hezekiah, as Sargon passes away and his son Sennacherib comes to reign over Assyria, Hezekiah thinks this is a good time, so he's going to withhold the tribute that he's supposed to pay to keep peace. So he withholds it. Sennacherib doesn't like that, and so he decides to come into the southern kingdom as well. Now you've got to picture this. He's already wiped out the northern kingdom. Now he comes into the southern kingdom, and he goes city by city, by city. And I love to dig in, and I love to study, and, and if you read historical pieces of the Assyrians, you'll find out these were not people that you wanted to fall into the hands of. They were pretty brutal. They cut off limbs. They burned people alive. They skinned people alive. They just ravaged everything. They separated kids and, 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 uh, and mothers from, from families. I mean, these were, these were bad people. And so they're going through city, through city, through city, just annihilating the southern kingdom, and they get up to Jerusalem. And do you know how many cities are left In the the southern kingdom at this point? One. Jerusalem is the last standing city. Literally, the Assyrians have wiped out the northern kingdom and have wiped out 46 cities in the southern kingdom. Only Jerusalem stands. And the scene that we're going to where we're going to pick up is is where uh, Sennacherib sends out some of his officials to begin to bark these threats of intimidation against the people of God. He wants Hezekiah to surrender and forfeit. He wants to strike him with fear. This is the epitome of psychological warfare, and I trust that even as we read just this part, God will begin to connect things in your own life. One thing I just remember that's really, really cool for those that like history, in the British Museum, they actually have Sennacherib's prism. So the kings would have these little prisms about this big, and they would write... In his time, Phoenician lettering, and uh, it's basically the highlights of their, of their life. And they have this in the British Museum. And literally, it talks about Sennacherib's own words says that he shut up Hezekiah like a bird in the cage in Jerusalem. Interestingly, though, it never says what happens after that except that they returned home because, as we'll see, they were absolutely humiliated, annihilated, and no king would ever record that. So here we pick this up with this threat that's coming against the people of God and, and Hezekiah. And this is what it says, starting in verse 4. As they meet with Hezekiah's officials, it says, The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Let me just start right here. This thought of the New Testament believer, what what God was showing me is, The scriptures say that our gifts and our callings are irrevocable. Even though we stray at times, God, when we turn back to him, these things remain in our life. And so what I realized is that the enemy cannot attack our calling, but he will attack our confidence. He cannot touch your calling. Whatever God has destined you to be in purpose and plan for you, you're the only one who can get in the way of that. So he can't come against your calling, but he will come against your confidence to begin To have you doubt that God can do what He said He can do and that you just don't have what it takes, which you can laugh and say I don't, but that's probably why God's called me to do this, so He can have glory in my life. The scripture says in Hebrews that we should not throw away our confidence. And the whole idea there is because we have the great high priest, Jesus Christ. He's greater than Moses, He's greater than the angels, He's greater than the Old Testament, He's greater than all of the the old covenant. We have Jesus as our high priest. Therefore, we can operate with great confidence. That even in our worst season of life, the cross is enough for me to approach the throne of God boldly and be in a relationship with him. And so he comes to to attack the confidence of Hezekiah and the people. And it says in in verse 6, it says, Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. So he says, if you lean on Egypt, he says, everyone knows you can't depend on them. And then he says in verse 7, But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must must worship before this altar? So he made a mistake. He thought that as Hezekiah actually was tearing down idols, but he thought he was removing places of worship. And verse 8 says, Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. So there's a mocking tone. He begins to to mock him. He says, I'll even give you the horses if you have people that can ride on them. So he comes, this voice of the enemy that, remember what we said, that the Old Testament provides prophetic pictures and patterns of what we face as New Testament believers. This voice comes to begin to attack confidence, begin to mock them, begin to say, what makes you think that you will ever be able to withstand us? God cannot deliver you in this situation. And so interestingly, the officials of Hezekiah tell these guys, listen, keep it down. Everyone can hear you on the wall, and you're going to scare them, and, and, and you're going to cause fear in them. And these guys, basically what they say is, God, you're going to starve if you, if you don't bow down to what we're asking. They literally actually say, you're going to eat your own excrement and drink your own urine. Those are their exact words that they said. These guys were not playing around when they come against them. And, uh, and Hezekiah's officials say, "Speak. can you speak in uh, Aramaic so our people can't hear you? And they just start yelling even louder in Hebrew to the people now on the wall and all those that can hear. And starting in verse 13 of Isaiah 36, this is what it says. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. So he says, make compromise. But The compromise of the enemy always leads to captivity. And then it says in verse 18, It says, do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? And he begins to list all of the victories that they've had over the northern kingdom and the southern cities, and he goes through it. All these gods, so-called gods that have fallen to his hand, and he begins to point to all of their victories to cause fear and doubt in the people of God. And so what happens is as Hezekiah hears this, he runs right into the temple to the presence of God. And he has his officials go to the prophet Isaiah, which is a good pattern for us. They go to the presence and they go to the prophet and they get a word from God. And during this time, Sennacherib comes again, but this time he sends a letter. And it basically says everything we just shared, he says it once again. It begins to just speak with this intimidation to discourage the people of God and thinking that they have no chance of being delivered. And Hezekiah takes the letter, it says, that Sennacherib gives him. And he goes into the presence of God and says that he lays out the request in the presence of God. And he literally brings it. He, he, he takes the threat of the enemy and he submits it to the authority of God and says, this is what's being said against me. We're going to see how this fits right in 2 Corinthians. He said, this is what's being said, God. And then the Lord raises up Isaiah to speak the truth over what's going to happen. And Isaiah begins to prophesy, they're not going to destroy you. They're going to leave the same way they came in. They're not even going to shoot an arrow. They won't even lay siege to you. He said, "He reminds them, God holds all of the nations in his hand. A good reminder for us today. He says, it doesn't matter what it looks like. God is sovereign. He's allowed these things to happen. You don't need to fear. You're going to have victory. You only need to trust in the word of the Lord. And he says, I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Now, before I finish this story, this is where I just want to now just jump off of this and just talk about thought life for a minute. As we've looked at this, I believe what God was sharing me is is here more than any of the stories that we've shared is we see the strategy of the enemy to cause fear into believers, to begin to doubt that God is with them, that God will see them through where they are. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but you will hear the voice that will begin to speak over you and whisper those lies. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. If you did, you wouldn't be going through this. You're not worthy. He begins to attack identity. He begins to speak these things over us. And sometimes they can seem really loud and, and strong. And he begins to look to the past. That's what he said. Have you not seen what I have done? Have you not seen what I've done to all the other nations? What makes you think you will be any different, Hezekiah? He speaks over us. He speaks and reminds us again because he's the accuser. He condemns based on the law. So he says, do you remember who you were? He calls us to our past life to look at our past mistakes but you have to remember that we are washed clean in the blood of Jesus. And we're going to talk for a moment today of learning to, to, to let the weight of what Jesus has done reign strong over, over your life and over these lies. Because I don't care who you are, when you walk with the Lord, you will constantly be bombarded with these thoughts. Always coming against you to speak fear into you. But God has the victory. I want you to know God has the victory. He'll tell us, look at your past life. Look at this, the cycles of how you would do well and stumble. You'll never have changed that. It'll always be the same. God has, God has forsaken you. He's not with you. And if we were to go through all of the stories that we've gone through in this series, sometimes you can see it, sometimes you can't, but I know it's happening. In Moses, when he's stuck at the Red Sea with the Egyptians come, you don't think there was thoughts that begin to whisper to him say, God doesn't love you. He's forsaken you. Why else would you be in here? Oh, you've done something wrong. He's punishing you and you begin to hear these lies, Joshua, Joshua, you're foolish to believe in God. You think this is the plan that will work? You're going to be humiliated. God's not going to come through. You look like an idiot marching around the wall, not fighting. He tells Gideon, Gideon, you can't be used by God. God begins to call him and says, Gideon, look at you. You're, you're the weakest in your clan. You're the least in your own family. He says, you can't even lead your family, let alone a people. He tells Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the problem's too big. The promise can't prevail. You have no reason to praise God going into the battle. You won't make this out. And he tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, this enemy is too strong for you. And look at all the things he's done in the past. Look at your past life. There's no way you will ever be able to overcome this. You might as well bend and bow and submit and just go back to the way you were living. You can't walk with God. God's not going to see you through this. And I want to just share this. The, The enemy is a defeated foe. Let me be clear in this. We are not going around devil chasing. It's not worth our attention. It's not worth our time. You have victory in Jesus Christ. He is a created being. He is not the same as God. They are not the same. He's not the opposite of God. He is the opposite of Michael the archangel at best. God is just transcendent and stands above that. But this is why that's important. Because if God is all-powerful and he is literally a chess piece that God will use to, to accomplish his purpose and plans in your life, then the question is, why do those lies sometimes have power in our life? It's because we agree with them. We say yes to them. We begin to entertain them. We begin to come in agreement and acknowledge them. We begin to say yes we begin to, as we're going to see, we begin to exalt these thoughts, these imaginations, these, these arguments above the knowledge of God of how he sees us, who he is, as nature. And we allow these things to come above us, and we allow our life to be shaped and shifted by these truths. And we give access to this. If you want to know how God sees you, if you want to know what the truth is, whatever you, whatever you hear in your head at times, flip it around. If he says you're not going to make it, you're going to make it then. If he says you're not worthy or, or you're worthless, you have value. If he says God doesn't love you, God loves you. Flip it around. Whatever you hear, sometimes it's so out, it's just the opposite of it. But you know what I do? It's Monday I walk, uh, Sunday I walk out of here. God is good. It's awesome. And then Monday is, you're not going to make it. And I'm like fighting this. No, no, no. You're not going to make it. Tuesday, you're not going to make it. Wednesday, you're not going to make it. By Thursday, because I'm not fighting this, I'll just, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> And Friday, I'm not going to make it. And then it's Crystal. Come in the room. (laughs) Start praying for me. I'm not going to make it. And listen to me. Prayers, don't get me wrong, this is a huge part of it, but you you know what happens a lot of times is she'll pray for me, and guess what happens? You're not going to make it. It starts coming back. Why? Why? Because I'm entertaining the thoughts. There are some times where it's not just about laying hands on the person to pray with them, because we have to begin to walk in the victory and the authority that we have been given. And so there comes a point when the lies of God, uh, lies of the enemy begins to speak over us, we have to stand firm in the truth and begin to counter it with the truth of God over our our lies. And the beauty is that Jesus has given us everything we need to do this. He hasn't just set us free from sin and death and brought us under the the New Testament of, of, of grace where he not only forgives us but empowers us, but he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is what? The spirit of truth to guide us into all truth. Everything we need to, to walk in truth and walk in victory, he gives it to us. How many of you have doubted, God doesn't love me? God doesn't care about me? How many of you found yourself in seasons like that and say, man, God is, there's no way he cares about me. I've made too many mistakes. Too many things have gone wrong, wrong in my life. God has certainly forsaken me and, and, and forgotten me. And if he loved me, then why would I be going through this? And we begin to have these thoughts. Why am I walking through this right now? Clearly, God is doesn't care about me let me let me just remind you you have to remind yourself that we are rooted in in in, in love in the cross and when we find ourselves in those seasons where we're doubting hey, god doesn't care about me he's forsaking me never forget god has already spoken over you he's already spoken your value and your worth and your love through the cross of jesus christ he has already shown you that he was willing to have heaven go bankrupt for you He paid the highest price for you because you mean that much to him. So when you ever find yourself doubting, God doesn't love me, or else I wouldn't be going through this, he doesn't care about me, you have to remind yourself that the cross is this incredible expression of the infinite, incalculable, boundless love that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. These can't be things that we just say, oh, this is, yeah, this is good. This will come. We'll probably walk out of here now more than ever going to face this. And we have to be ready to say, no, no, no. The word of God, the cross shows me my value. I'm not even going to entertain those thoughts over my life. Because once you begin to do that, that's that's where you run into trouble. God spoke to Eve, and then Satan came and spoke in her ear. And what does it say that she did? She looked. She looked at the fruit. She saw that it was good. What is that? Is that just a physical look? No, no, no. She began to entertain the thought. She began to think, maybe, maybe God is withholding something from me. Maybe God doesn't really care, but maybe God really won't come through. Maybe God can't provide for me. Maybe, maybe, maybe I have really screwed up too much this time. And he begins to speak those lies, and when we begin to entertain, it begins to grow. Do you remember the, the 12 spies that went into the promised land? Remember as the uh, Israelites were moving through the wilderness to go into the promised land? And Moses sent out 12 spies to look at the land. 12 spies come back. Joshua and Caleb give good reports. The other 10 don't. But but I've always found this interesting. If you read the 10 that come back with this bad report, they begin by stating the facts. They come back with the fruit. And they say, look, we have this fruit there. God, Everything God said, it's true. It's all there. But this land is heavily fortified in the strong cities. And they begin to spread this report. And then just two verses later, it begins to say, anyone who goes in this land is going to be devoured. And then by the end, they begin to say, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. They will absolutely destroy us. And what happens is, is they begin to entertain and exalt the lie of the enemy above God. And what happened was as you entertain that, it begins to spiral out of control and get worse and worse. By the time we have exaggerated this thing so far in our mind, it's not even what, the truth of what I even started with. And this is where depression and all these other things come from as we begin to entertain these thoughts that God, God has never spoken over us. So what happens when the, when the lie begins to speak over you? You submit to God. So James 4 says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you do that? You begin to speak to him. Lord, I thank you that I'm yours. I thank you that, God, I'm a child of God, not because of me, because of Jesus. I thank you that you do have a purpose and plan for my life. I thank you, God, that you'll never forsake me. I thank you that you've placed your Holy Spirit in me, God. And you just begin to speak these things over you, these truths that are in the word of God. And if you submit yourself to God, it will break. It may come back but it will break. That's, that's the way that you fight it. Let the lies of the enemy thrust you to God's throne. Let it bring you to him. How many of you have ever, since you've been walking with Jesus, and I'm not saying because you've indulged in something you shouldn't, but just really found the Lord. How many of you have ever had just a crazy thought come in your mind, like a really disturbing thought? Right? I mean, you're like, where, where the heck did that come from? That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a nasty thought. That's a violent thought. That's a really, that's a crazy thought, right? Let me. I want to just speak in this for a moment. What happens is, first of all, that's a good sign if, when it grieves you because that's proof that it's not coming from the inside. It's coming from the out, okay? Because what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you to believe that that thought is your thought because once he can do that, then he can speak over you and say, how could you think about that? I thought you're a child of God. How could you, how could you, how could you be thinking about this? But the fact that that thing, that thing grieves you is a sign that you have been changed and redeemed Therefore, you can rejoice in saying, I'm not that person anymore. Because listen, sometimes these things can keep coming. Sometimes they go for seasons. But all it does is it just makes you even crazier for the gospel and Jesus when it just keeps reinforcing and saying, man, that's not me. And don't you dare take credit for that thought and allow the enemy to speak condemnation over you. He wants you to be living in secret condemnation and guilt. So look, at, look up on the screen or you can turn your Bibles if you want. I want to just share one more scripture with you here. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Before we finish off Snacherib's story, it says this powerful scripture. There's so many things to talk about. I just hope this just gets gets things started. Starting in verse three of Second Corinthians ten, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, or yours may say imaginations or reasonings. We demolish these arguments, reasonings, imaginations, and every pretension or high thought that sets itself up, exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, so this scripture is telling us that the enemy sets up strongholds in unhealthy patterns of thinking. And what happens is is there are these thoughts, these imaginations, these these reasons that are counter to the knowledge of God. They're counter to how God sees you. They're counter to the nature of God. They're counter to God's plans for your life. And the idea is that the goal is for them to be exalted and set above what God speaks over your life, how God sees you, what God's nature is. And the, the first thing I'd say is we can't afford to entertain thoughts that God has never had towards us. It'll lead you to be in a, in a mental place that you begin to war. This is what it's saying. Our thoughts begin to war against the very knowledge of God. This is why in Colossians 121, it says when we were alienated from God, our minds were hostile towards him. When we were separated, what does that mean? Sure, there's an aspect of, yeah, we, we had aggression. There's some of that. But also it means that our worldview, the, the way we operated, the values, all these things, it was in complete contrast to God. We lived by a standard and a, and, a, and a thought life that was completely contrary to how God sees us, what God has created us for. Our minds were at odds and hostile towards God. And God's heart and desire is that we would operate with the mind of Christ. His desire is that through us, we would reflect the mind of Christ. That's not just good and um, uh, moral thinking. That's true. But what that means is, remember, Christ, faith thinking is so cr- it's crazy. Right? I mean, you, you, when you really operate by faith, there are times we'd say, that doesn't make any sense. God's heart is that we would walk with the mind of Christ, which means that we would walk through situations that when people say, why in the world would you do that? It's because God has given you the mind of Christ, and you think according to a different pattern of thought. Are you guys following that? So let me give you an example of this in Mark chapter 8, right? Mark chapter 8, Jesus just gets done feeding the 4,000. Jesus just gets done feeding the 4,000, he leaves with his disciples, and his disciples only bring one loaf of bread. And Jesus makes this teaching to him. He, he talks about, uh, it's real quick, but he says basically, don't be, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees or the religious leaders, and be careful of the yeast of Herod. And he's talking about these unhealthy influences having a, a, an effect on the way you see things. And his disciples just miss it, and they think, I think he's talking about food because we, we, we don't have any bread, and they just completely missed the point, but I think Jesus was bringing that to come to this conclusion. He says, why do you reason? Why do you reason about bread? Why do you reason about what you will eat? Interestingly, stay with me, interestingly, that word reason is the same root word that comes in here that we demolish arguments or reasons or imaginations. In other words, God is, is, is saying, why, why do you have a thought life? Why do you have a thought pattern that is counter to my nature and how I work? I just, did, I just fed 4,000 people in front of you. You saw my nature. How come now you are engaging and entertaining thoughts that are counter to who I am, what I want to do in your life, and my assignment for you? Why do you entertain reasoning that causes speculation over who I am, how I live, and what I've assigned you to do? You are considering and dwelling on a reality that is inconsistent with my nature. That's what he tells his disciples. Why does your imagination and your thought process always start with what you don't have? And so he addresses them and says, why are you reasoning about where you will eat? Didn't I just do that miracle for you? Didn't you, didn't you see what, what I did for you? How many of you have had God do a miracle in your life, right? Let's just say even financially, right? And how many of you, then a little bit later, you had walked through another financial crisis? And how many of you were just as nervous the second time? (laughs) The whole point is, God, that's what God's telling them. Why are you reasoning? Why are you entertaining these thoughts? You've already encountered my nature. What he's saying is, you should have changed the way you were thinking when you encountered my nature of who I am. It should have shifted and shaped the way that you think and the way you see things. You should have come to the understanding that I'm a provider. And that if I did it then, I will do it again. Bill Johnson, I heard one time speak on something similar to this that was so, so good. I want to share with you real quick. Bill Johnson said, in, in light of this, by the way, he's, he's like one of my favorites. You guys should listen to Bill Johnson. Sometimes I just want to put up his sermons and just watch with you. <laughs> but he talks about this kind of principle. Listen, he says, um, Moses and the Israelites the miracles of God are not just, this is what he said, the miracles of God are not just meant to be these momentary, temporary uh, interventions of God. They are meant to reveal his nature to us that will mark us and shape us forever, that we would live by that once we have that revelation. So what he said is if you look through the uh, wilderness season with the Israelites and Moses, you'll notice a big difference because every time God acted, remember what happened with the Israelites. Weren't you like, how could they doubt God? Three days ago, he split the Red Sea. Now they're asking, where, where, how am I going to get bread? How am I going to eat? And he said, it's because the Israelites were only be, becoming acquainted with the acts of God. But Moses was becoming acquainted with the nature of God. So if you look through the wilderness season... Moses was stable because even when he walked through seasons where there was no provision and say, how is this going to happen? He knew the nature of God and therefore said, I don't see where it's going to come from, but my God is a provider. Therefore, I can stand firm and know that he's going to see us through. While the Israelites, while Andrew is one day saying God is with us next day, God is against us. But God wants us to encounter his nature and let it mark us and change us forever. And, uh, and so the, the thought process I have here is that I believe God wants us, the worship team can come forward. This isn't about um, temporary or, or random thoughts. God wants, to, God wants to change thought patterns. That's what I'm, I'm speaking at thought patterns. I don't know about you, but I have some really unhealthy thought patterns that are contrary to the knowledge of God. I've allowed them to exalt themselves above God's word in my life. And as a result, it leads to worry, depression, anxiety. All these things flow from thought life. And what I really believe that God wanted us to do is just have a moment where, even if it doesn't happen here, but God wants us to come to a place where we have to repent of those things. We have to confess those things. We have to, we have to say, okay, God, I've been living by a, a, a truth, which is not a truth, that is counter to your word, God, and I confess and I repent that these are lies that I've allowed to shape me. Some of you have such unhealthy thought patterns about yourself. Jesus wants you to see yourself as he sees you. Some of you, if we get in your thought life about yourself, just rip yourself apart. Some of you have, like myself, unhealthy thought patterns about situations God calls me in. The moment I get into another hard situation, I just begin to doubt and say, God, where, where are you? And I just go off. And God wants us to repent it and confess because He wants us, He doesn't want us to live like Christian atheists. He wants us to live as children of God, not as orphans. We have a good Father. He's with us. And He wants us, as when He provides those miracles in our life, He wants that to lead us to know who He is so that in the future, when we walk through something similar, we're going to walk through it in victory. We're going to walk through it knowing that God is with us. Some of us, I feel like I need to share this, some of us have unhealthy thought patterns about other people. That's really dangerous as well. Listen, what does what the word of God say? Do not go down. Uh, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. You ever seen someone in a foothold? If Joe would have grabbed my foot like this, you know what would happen? I have to go wherever he takes me. He's got a foothold on me. When we, when we allow unhealthy patterns of thinking towards others, man, we open the door for that as well. And I just believe, you could stand with me as we close here. I believe that God wants to, to begin to shift and shape those thought patterns, to bring them into submission and captivity, to begin to take them captive to the, to the authority of Christ. God wants us to to begin to live by his principles and what he says over us. And do you know that with Hezekiah, I love it, with Hezekiah, after he he received the word from from Isaiah, it says he had to go to bed. It wasn't until the next morning. I've had some bad night sleeps with kids, but I can't imagine that night's sleep. Just wondering, are we going to make it through this? Like, God, are you really going to come through? Like, I'm trusting you. I'm not going to submit to this. I'm gonna, I've submitted these threats, and I'm going I'm to hang tight, God. Am I going to wake up to just like these guys all around me? They're going to kill me? And he says when he wakes up the next morning, they look out. The angel of the Lord came, and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers were wiped out right there. All they came out to was just dead bodies. And although he went to sleep that night with perhaps worry and perhaps pain, when he rose in the morning, there was a song of praise and a song of joy. And I realize that I realize that this may be me challenging, but listen, this this fight, will continue while we're on this side of eternity, will continue. And God has given us everything we need, and we need to begin to take authority over this. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast to go deeper into the message text deeper to 66866 if you would like to give to this ministry you can text the amount to 631 693 4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org/give